You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. I'm going to make a statement to start with that I believe will be very significant for you, and that is this. How many know that failure is never final in a believer? If a person is a believer in Christ, the Bible says all things are possible. So we're never ever in a position where the disappointments and the setbacks in our life are set forever. In other words, God wants you to know today that if you continue to believe, everything and all things will be possible in your life. So maybe you're disappointed about something. Maybe you haven't received what you thought God would give you by now. And I'm telling you right now, don't you dare stop believing. Because I'm going to show you some things today that I believe will perfect your faith. There's a verse over in the first Thessalonians I love. It's about the apostle Paul. And he says, he's writing to the Christians of Thessalonica, and he says this to him. He says, I've been praying night and day so that when I come to you, I will be able to perfect what is lacking in your faith. That's what I'm going to do today. Amen? I'm gonna be, we're going to be dealing with a lot of scripture, but I'm going to be showing you some things that could be lacking in your faith that is preventing you from the wonderful success that God wants you to have through your prayer life and through your individual fruit of the Spirit. Can you say amen, everybody? So with that in mind, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4, 13. And as we look at this verse, I could quote it, but I want you to see something, and then I'm going to show it to you in its context. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written... I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, Paul, when he said this, if you read the verses up above, he says this. He says that they were hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. They were perplexed, but not despaired. They were persecuted, but not forsaken. They were struck down, but not destroyed. In fact, I want you to hear this. This kind of faith is not fragile. You don't have to treat it like fine china. The kind of faith that speaks out is extremely durable under every situation in your life. In other words, it's not too hot. It's not too difficult. There's not too much pressure. It's not too hard when you have this kind of faith. And if you write this down for a reference in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 25, Paul talks about many of the pressures that he went into. And he said this, he said, I labored more than the rest of them. But he, then he said this, he said, I was scourged or whipped by the Jews five times. He was beaten with robbed three times. He was a night and a day in the sea, two shipwrecks. Now, I don't know if you've read all the new shark stories. That would not be exciting. That means that Paul, on his back, had 195 stripes that he'd been beaten on. If you read the book of Galatians, he talks about he has scars because of Jesus. And he, I'm sure he's talking about the time he was scourged. The point I'm trying to tell you is he went through all of that with the same kind of faith you got. Because this faith is not fragile. This faith is tough. 
When you believe what God says in his word and you declare it in your life, you can take the pressure. You can take the opposition. You can take the setback. You can take it. It's not flaky American type faith. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Because what I want you to see from this, and I believe it's important, is that we have in America this easy believism. But the faith that comes from this word is tough. It can withstand problems. It can withstand pressure. It can withstand difficulties in your life. But you have to understand that. I'm talking about the faith that comes from this word. I'm not talking about the faith that maybe someone will tell you, just, you know, I believe you can do it. I'm talking about faith that comes from the word of God. It's that powerful. Paul said this in the end of his life before he was beheaded. He said this. He said, I fought the good fight of faith. And I've kept the faith. Here's what I've learned. If you keep the faith, God will keep you in that area. If you keep the faith in your marriage, he'll save your marriage. If you keep the faith in your finances, he'll save your finances. If you keep the faith in your dream and vision, he will save that dream and vision. If you keep the faith in whatever you're using your faith on, he will keep it. He will preserve you. And as long as that faith is going, God will keep the vision and dream alive in your life. And you will, in fact, be blessed overflowing. Amen? I believe it's important for us to see that and grasp that. One of the things I've learned over the years is that God is no respecter of persons, which means his word is not a respecter of persons. This word, Scripture says, is like seed. How many know you can take a corn seed and you can plant it in Asia and it'll grow just like it'll grow in America? In other words, it doesn't matter where the seed is sown. As long as the soil has the thorns and thistles out of it, it will grow that seed. If you need the seed of healing, it'll grow in your life. If you need the seed, a seed of prosperity, it'll grow in your life. If you need a seed to make your marriage better, it will grow in your life. You don't have to find a new wife to get the seed to work. Oh, that went over really good. I can see that right now. Thank you, Pastor. I really appreciate that. Praise God. Now, here's what I want you to do today. I want to change your mindset. Because the mindset that we have many times growing up and so forth limits what we desire. And faith it rises and falls on the measure of your desire. In other words, if I have a great desire for more than enough, my faith will rise to that. If I don't have a great desire for more than enough, my faith will only rise to that point. If I have a strong desire just to this level, that's as far as it goes. In other words, faith is affected by your mindset. Now, when I grew up, I wouldn't say that I was poor, but I wouldn't say that we were rich. I lived in a family where if you left on the lights, you got a, you got a lecture. I lived in a house, we set the temperature down in the house to save in the heating bill. I live in a house, when I went out to a restaurant with my parents, they told me what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. So we didn't have more than enough. We paid the bills and all that stuff, but we certainly were not rich. Well, after I got saved, I still had that mindset. Had the mindset of just getting by, the mindset of just having enough. And what changed my mind or my mindset was the word of God. Let me give you a couple of references. 
Let me write these verses down. This is found in Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, and Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. And the first one that I mentioned really helped change my mindset because it said this. It said that a person who scatters, talking about seed, increases. But the one who withholds more than he should is led into poverty. And then the next verse says this. A generous man will be made rich. And then he says, he who waters will be watered himself. I love that. But one of my personal favorites is in Proverbs 3 where he says this, honor the Lord with your possessions. Amen. And with the first fruit of your increase so that your barns can be full and your vats can overflow with new wine. He's talking about bringing in the tithe. But those two verses were very important for me because they changed my mindset that just enough wasn't God's perfect will. More than enough was God's perfect will. And maybe you have a wrong mindset in your marriage that this is good enough. Or in your finances, this is good enough. What I would encourage you to do is simply this. Go to the scriptures and, and find the scriptures on the areas in your life that you're living right now so that you can make sure that your mindset is in proportion to what the scriptures say so that you can desire and ask things in faith at a level that is most pleasing to God. It's kind of like in marriage, you know, I've had two kids, got eight grandkids, and both of my kids take their, take their uh, family to church and they live a Christian life. Now, I, that's not by luck. That's not simply because I was lucky with raising my kids at all. When I raised my kids, I went to the scripture to find out how to raise them. And one of my favorite verses is found in Ephesians, and you can write this down, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And it says this in this particular verse. It says that when you raise a child, it says to not provoke them to anger. In other words, don't let there be injustice in your family where you treat one better than the other. Don't do things that irritate them that they sense is unjust. But it's said to train them in the admonition of the Lord. And if you've been preaching as long as I have, you know the difference between teaching and training. Training, you don't sit down and tell them what to do. Training is you show them by example. My son came to me and said, Dad, how do you pray? And he asked that question because he saw me praying all the time. My family never had a problem with forgiveness because they saw me forgiving people that kept burning me over and over in ministry. My family never had a problem with many of the aspects of Christianity because they saw me and my wife practicing those aspects in the family. It's amazing to me. I see families drop off their kids at church. They say, Pastor, pray. I want my son to want to go to church. Well, why don't you show up? Well, I don't want my son to take drugs. Well, why are you getting drunk on wine and drinks? 
See, monkey see, monkey do. You can't train a child unless you're willing to do that. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ today that are wrecking their lives because they don't have the self-control needed to handle alcohol. It's better just to avoid it altogether. Keep your family safe. Keep your kids safe. Say amen. You may not like it. Praise God. I'm going to preach it. <laughs> amen. Praise God. So my point is, when you're dealing with this stuff, you got to change your mindset, and you change your mindset through the Word of God in your life. If you don't change it through the Word of God in your life, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. You're not going to be that influence that you need to be in your family, and you're going to get a setback that's going to stay set. You're going to get a setback in your marriage that stays set. You have to change your mindset so that your desire begins to increase more and more in your life. Amen? Can you say amen, everybody? So I always go to the Word of God first to get faith for what I need. And you can get faith for money. You can get faith for marriage. You can get faith for health. You can get faith for visions and dreams and talent. You can get faith for anything you need in this book right here. It has all the seed that you need to succeed in your life. Amen? Hallelujah. And what I do, because I love, to, I love to get to the source, is I don't spend a lot of time with paraphrases. If you know anything about the Bible, you'll know there, there are Bibles that are paraphrases and there's a Bible that are translation. A translation, to make it simple, is this. You take the original language it was written in and you put it in your language. So if it's Hebrew, you put it in English. If it's Greek, you put it in English. A paraphrase is different. A paraphrase takes the meaning of the verse and says it through the author's mindset. But it's not the un unadulterated word unless you have a translation. That's inspired. That has power. That can heal you. That can raise you up. Can you say amen, everybody? I'm not opposed to paraphrase. I'm just telling you, I like to go to the pure Word of God. Are you here? You're going home. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to show you a truth here that I think is one of the reasons why people have a hard time having faith in many of the situations they're facing in their life. And that is as many times we don't feel deserving of what we're asking God for. Lord, I'm asking for a second chance. I'm asking for a third chance. I, I'm asking, Lord, that you would prosper and do this, even though I, you know, me and my wife, we got married. I didn't go to school, and, uh, and I was living with her. She got pregnant. And so many times we have a hard time receiving from God because we feel like we are unworthy. I want you to remember this. Whenever you place your faith in Christ, Forgiveness is automatic. Let me say it again. Whenever you place your faith in Christ, forgiveness automatically follows in your life. To prove that to you, one of my favorite verses is the uh, James, half-brother of Jesus. He said this. He said, was anyone sick in the church? Let him call for the elders of the church. And then he says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and God will raise him up. Does that sound like he's getting healed? Does it? And then he says, and if he's committed any sins, they shall be forgiven. In other words, as soon as he started exercising faith, the forgiveness that he needed was added to it. 
Amen? In other words, when you, when you give your life to Christ, and many of you have done this, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you were born again, and at that moment, God forgive you of every sin, even the ones that you didn't remember, even the ones you never thought about. He forgave you of all your sins, from the, from the littlest to the biggest in your life, instant, past tense, present, and into the future. Isn't that awesome? Now, let me, let me, let me show that to you in Scripture. You remember the, the man that uh, he had four friends bring him on a pallet to Jesus. They couldn't get in the house, so they climbed up in the roof, tore up the roof, and they let the man down. Jesus saw their faith. They came for healing. And what did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven, and then he healed him. In other words, as soon as you use your faith, forgiveness comes along with it which means God removes whatever would cause you to be unworthy of the blessing. Now, the problem that a lot of people have is because of one verse they don't understand, and that is 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we quote that one verse, and so we become sin conscious. Can I think of any sins that I should have said I was sorry for? here and so forth. First, that verse doesn't say to ask for forgiveness. It says that if we confess, which means to say the same thing that God says about your sin. That's what it means. He is faithful and just. If you look at the verses before it, in verse 8 and verse 10, you'll see this. He says, anyone who says... They have no sin, deceives himself. That's what's said before the verse. After the verse, John says, anyone who says they have not sin, you're making him out of the liar, and the truth is not in you. So the whole premise of the whole discussion is to let the Christians know that just because you're born again doesn't mean you're without sin. Sin's inside of you. But in 1 John 1, 9, he's telling them that if we continue with our confession of faith, that forgiveness and cleansing continues. Now, here's the part that people miss. The Greek word for forgiveness and the word for cleansing are not present tense. They're in the past. In other words, because of what Jesus did in the past, forgiveness is ongoing in your life when you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. Say amen, everybody. Now, to anchor that down, write this down. Hebrews 10, verse 12 through 14. Favorite verse. It's talking about Jesus. said, and this man, talking about Jesus, afterwards offered one offering for sin forever. And sat down at the right hand of God. Woo, can you say amen? amen? From that time, it says, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Then he repeats it again and says, by one offering, he has perfected, watch this, forever those who are being sanctified. Woo! Say amen, everybody. Now, that makes it really clear, not to mention the fact Colossians 2.13 says that when you believe on Christ, all your sins were forgiven. Hallelujah. 
You say, why is it important? Because people can't use their faith correctly if they don't feel deserving of what they receive. But we don't receive because of our worthiness. We receive because of Christ inside of us. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 43, 25 says this, I am even the one who blots out your transgressions and forgives you for my own sake. And then he says, I will not remember your sins no more. You know why some of you struggle in your faith? Because you won't forgive yourself. God's already forgiven you, but you won't forgive yourself. You beat yourself up over the fact that you did this or you did that or you should have went to college or you should have did this or if I would have listened to my wife, whatever. And because of that, your faith is failing. What I want you to do is say, Lord, I'm gonna, if you forgave me, I'm going to forgive me. Amen. Now, you're going to run into people that tell you not to do that, but I'm telling you from the Word of God that for your own sake, you have to forgive yourself, just like God had to forgive us for His sake so that He could work His power through us. He can't work His power through us if He had not forgiven us. <laughs> Hallelujah. So there's a power involved with that. Now, this whole sermon that I've prepared, it's got such awesome truth in it. But what I wanted to close with, that will take a few minutes, is a verse that, or verses that Peter does in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. And in this verse, Peter, who remembered, denied the Lord three times, tells the people that if you add these seven qualities to your faith, he says, and if those qualities are yours and abound, you will neither be fruitless or barren in your life. But as if you lack these things, you're short-sighted and you have forgotten that you've been forgiven of your former sins. So these seven things are added to your faith. And as we look at them, I want to say this to you because it's very important. The order of it is very significant. It's kind of like making macaroni and cheese. I'm not much of a cook, but I do know how to cook a few things. And when you make macaroni and cheese, you cannot put the noodles or the, you can't put the macaroni in the water until the water is boiling. And you can't put the cheese on the macaroni until the macaroni has been cooked well enough. Amen? If you don't do this process right, you got a slimy mess. Say amen. So let's look at the order of this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He says, I want you to add to your faith. First thing I want you to add is excellence. Say excellence. Some of your translations say virtue, but it is actually the Greek word for excellence. Excellence is when you give your best. Say amen. You give your best. In other words, you see excellence emphasized in Isaiah 119 when he says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. In other words, it's not enough to be obedient. You've got to have a good attitude in it when you're obedient. That's, that's, that's obeying God with excellence. Amen? And that's the only way you get the best that God gives you. Amen? Is by doing that. So he says, I want you to give the best you have to the Lord. 
And then he says, I want you to add to this excellence knowledge. Now, what kind of knowledge is he talking about? Well, let me give you a reference. Proverbs 2, 4 through 5 says that if you seek her with silver and search for her with hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you shall find the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, the knowledge he's talking about here is this. You can't display excellence unless you have the knowledge on how to do it. If you don't have the knowledge on how to love your wife the way Christ tells us to love your wife, you cannot have excellence in the way that you love them. You can't have excellence in prayer unless you follow the knowledge of the Word of God and that knowledge shows you that it's more than just asking. It's about receiving what you ask and so forth and so forth and so forth. In other words, if you seek Him with all your heart and give it your best, that knowledge will become available in your family, in your business, in your career, in the visions that you have in your life. It will become available to you. Hallelujah. The Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. How many people live and die and never get much of a prayer answered in their life because they've never had anyone teach them the rules of prayer? There are rules you have to follow on different kinds of prayer. Once you learn those rules, you get success rates. Say amen. And you can pray with an excellent spirit. Amen. Because you have the knowledge needed to make it work in your life. And then he says, okay, I want you to add then to this knowledge, self-control. Say self-control. Oh, this is a big one in the day we live in. Self-control. Self-control means you're not going to be controlled by your emotions. You're going to control your emotions. Self-control means you're not going to be uh, controlled by the market. You are going to control the market. Self-control means that whatever's outside of you, you're not going to allow to control you. Well, I feel depressed because I got to go to work on Monday. Or I'm depressed because my wife is mad at me. Or vice versa. Self-control is deciding that my faith will decide how I feel. Not how I feel at the moment. I'm going to count it all joy when I fall into trials. I'm going to give, I mean, come on. I'm going to put on the spirit of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm going to control how I feel and so forth. Now, we see this in, in, in working out and things like that. You exercise discipline with self-control. But I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it here in the aspect of faith. Faith cannot win without self-control because you've got to control your thought life. You've got to control your mouth. You've got to control how you feel. That doesn't mean you won't feel bad. It just means that you won't let that decide what you're going to do. What you're going to decide, what you're going to do is what the Word of God says. And he says you add to your self-control perseverance. Wow. Perseverance is when you stick with it until you see results. Perseverance is I can't quit. Perseverance is, it's not over unless I quit. Perseverance is, I'm going to stay with it until I win. I may fail at it a million times, but I'm going to keep playing the game until I win. Perseverance just 
won't give up. But notice, you add it to self-control. Why? Because you can't persevere without self-control. Your emotions will get the best of you. Your circumstances will get the best of you. And you'll just throw in the towel and you'll give up. That's why he does it in that divine order. There's a story told of a, a young man who had a family in a very small village. And he wanted to have water for his family, so he started to dig ditches or, uh, you know, dig down to, to, you know, to get water up. The first well that he started to dig, he went down 25 feet, no water. Neighbor came by and said, you know, I, I know a spot where I know there's water. Go, go over here. I bet, you, I bet you only have to go down maybe 5 feet or 20 feet, and you'll get the water. So he went ahead and dug another 25 feet. No water. Another neighbor comes up and says, you know, in the village here, over here, I'm sure there is water here. Why don't you start digging over here? So he dug in another 25 feet. Another guy came by and says, why don't you try over here? And did another one, another 25 feet. And then a man came up to me and he says, sir, I've been noticing you've been digging all these holes for a well. He said, I don't know if you know this, but in this village right here, you can get water anywhere in this village if you dig down 100 feet. So it wasn't that he was not digging. He didn't dig in the right spot long enough. A lot of people, they just dig in one spot, get one wife, then try another wife, then try another wife. Then Instead of digging in one spot until you get the breakthrough. Say amen, everybody. Nothing wrong with different aspects of the Lord leads you, but, but I'm just saying that sometimes you just need to persevere at what you're doing and not give up. You may adjust it as you're going, but just persevere with it, persevere with it, persevere with it, persevere with it, persevere with it. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. That will keep your faith from failing if you get determined like that. But again, if you don't have self-control, the perseverance won't last. So people who give up lack self-control. It's in them. They just choose not to use it. Hallelujah. And you know what it's like when you get to that place. You got people tell you, you had to just give up. I don't like to give up because someone tells me to give up. I like to give up because... It wasn't God's will. If it's God's will, I'm going to stay at it. I don't care if I'm standing in faith for the rest of my life and I die sick. It ain't going to make no difference. I'm going to stand on the word of God until the word of God manifests in my life. I don't want to back off. I don't want to retreat because of that. And then he says, I want you to add perseverance or godliness to your perseverance. Oh, my goodness. Think about this. How does perseverance and godliness work together? Well, first of all, godliness, let me tell you what godliness is. Godliness isn't you acting like a nun or a priest. No. Godliness is you understanding the virtue you have in Christ that as he is, so are you. That as he is righteous, so are you. As he is holy, so are you. As he is seated in heavenly places, so are you. As, whoo, glory to God. That, that's godliness. 
And it says godliness, we're to add to that brotherly kindness. Now, why is that important? Because you cannot love your neighbor if you don't like yourself. You're not going to love me worth a hoot if you hate yourself. If you don't like who you are, if you don't like your personality, if you don't like, you know, who you are and you hate yourself, you're going to treat everybody terribly. But if you like yourself because you have been created in the image of Christ and it's no longer you that liveth, but Christ that liveth inside of you, if you do that, you're going to be able to love one another with kindness. Love your brother. Say amen, everybody. You're going to be able to do that. And so I like how he connects and then he mentions love, which is agape love. And agape love is sacrificial love, but you'll never have sacrificial love unless you've experienced God's kindness in your life. Ephesians says that after you got saved, that God wanted it for the purpose that in the age to come, you might experience the grace that he has towards us or the kindness that he has towards us. And that's what I want you to hear today is this. God wants you to know that these things that I just ministered to you, whether it's brother or love or kindness, or whether it's agape, sacrificial love, which we've talked about before, well, what, but what is this agape love? What is this love he's talking about? Well, what is it exactly? It is a love that suffers long and is kind. Say amen, everybody. It is not envious. It is not prayed itself. It is not puffed up. It is not act rudely. Hallelujah. It's, it's a love that is not self-seeking. It doesn't think evil, doesn't rejoice with iniquity. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. And this love never fails. And that's the kind of love we got inside of us, if you're a believer. Now, let me close with something. It's a story that I think will, you can really relate to this. This is actually a true story. It was about a, a farmer in Africa. And this particular farmer in Africa had this nice farm. But some people started telling him about all these diamonds that were in Africa. So he decided, I'm going to leave the farm and let somebody else, uh, you know, pay someone else to keep it up or whatever. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for these diamonds. So he goes out on this big treasure hunt to find all these diamonds. And it went on for years and years and years, and he started using up all of his money on his adventures and finding these diamonds. Till eventually he couldn't afford it anymore, and so he decided to sell his farm so it could finance him continuing to look for these diamonds. So he sold his farm to another man, and the man came in with his family. And the man had something happen that was very unusual. He was out looking at his new farm, and there was a stream that went through it. And he noticed there was a stone in the stream that was unusual. It just wasn't like most stones. So he took the stone, washed it off. He liked it so much, he put it on the mantle of his fireplace. A friend from town came in and was visiting with him and noticed on the mantle this odd-looking stone. He says, what is that? And he said, I don't know. It's just very unique. And that's why I washed it off and put it there. It's a very unique stone. And he said, I tell you what, let me take it into town. I know somebody that can tell you what it is. 
they discovered it was one of the largest diamonds ever found in Africa. And in the stream and in the property was one of the largest diamond mines ever found in Africa. And here's the point. The guy had all the diamonds that he needed. And he was looking for them somewhere else than where he already possessed. Peter said, if, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or fruitless in your life. In other words, when I got saved, God put these treasures inside of me. I don't got to look for them out here. I don't got to look for them out there. The treasures of God are inside of every person. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, it was so exciting. Because when I gave my life to Christ, I, I just knew that with God inside of me, all things were possible. With God inside of me, there was nothing that couldn't be acquired and achieved. With God inside of me, whatever the mountain was, I could conquer. I knew that with that salvation came the package. Glory to God. Came the package of all the treasure I might need in life. It says a good man stores up a treasure in his heart. A good man brings forth that treasure. I believe today God wanted you to know that if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, everything you need is already inside of you. What you need to do is bring it out. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.